0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag right this second, guys, if you haven't already this season. Use the promo code UGA to get up to $200 in cash added to your account. All you have to do is make a deposit, and whatever you deposit, they're going to match it up to $200, and that goes directly into your account. And you can withdraw that, do whatever you want with it as soon as you bet that initial deposit. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. All right, guys. Y'all know what's up today. You know what's on the agenda. We've dipped our toe ever so slightly into the SEC championship pool. You know, last week with the tech preview, I did a half tech preview episode and then a half like early SEC championship thoughts. Curtis and I discussed a little bit more on the recap episode earlier this week. But we're done dipping our toe into that pool. Today on the show... We are diving head first into that SEC championship pool. And we're just gonna go ahead and get right to it, guys. I'm not gonna waste any time today. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and get right to it off the bat here. And I want to start with the LSU offense versus Georgia defense. We're gonna look at this matchup first, and then we'll get into the other side of the equation. Offensively, when you look at LSU's numbers statistically, on the national scale, you look at the numbers and you say, Well, okay. LSU's pretty damn good. It's a pretty good offense, right? If you look at their top 40 offensively, uh, nationally, in total offense, yards per play, and scoring offense. But here's the thing with their numbers. That sounds great, right? Top 40? Sure, we'll take that. But they're just kind of middle of the pack in the SEC. This is not an elite SEC offense. This is a very, very average SEC offense. Now, relative to the rest of the country, that means it's a good offense because it's the Southeastern Conference. is by far the best conference in college football, but in terms of SEC offenses, which are the offenses that we face week in and week out during the season, it's kind of ho-hum. It's run of the mill. They're seventh in total offense, seventh in yards per play, and sixth in scoring offense inside the SEC. And honestly, guys, if there has ever been an indicator of how much the SEC dominates college football, It's that. I mean, you're a top 40 offense in all those major statistical categories on a national scale, but you're literally exactly middle of the pack in your own conference. But that's neither here nor there. We didn't come here today to extol the benefits of the SEC. We've got a game to preview, so let's get right back to it. But I mean, statistically speaking, if you're looking at LSU, I would say It's about the fourth or fifth-ish best offense that we have faced this season, depending on how you feel about Kent State. I I would give LSU the edge over Kent State because they just have better personnel than Kent State. It's not schemed as well as Kent State's offense, but the personnel obviously is kind of night and day there. So let's say the fourth best offense that we faced this year. Well, okay. How did we fare against those other offenses? Offenses number one, two, and three that we faced this year. Well, against Oregon, one of the best offenses in the entire country, we gave up 313 yards, 4.6 yards per play and only three points. Y'all remember that, right? It feels like it was yesterday, but it was, what, three months ago? And that's when we announced to the Kasha Ball world that, hey, this Georgia defense, it ain't going nowhere. We don't care how many people we lost. This defense is going to do its thing. And look, I know Oregon just lost Oregon State, but this Oregon offense has been lights out all year long. They went over 515 yards and seven yards per play five different times on the year. Literally, almost half the games they play, They went over 515 yards and seven yards per play. They went over 600 yards and eight yards per play twice, which is just insane. Those are insane numbers. They are a top four offense, top five offense in every major statistical category out there. And then you've got Tennessee. You guys know exactly what we did in Tennessee. Held this high-flying Tennessee offense to 289 total yards, only 3.9 yards per play. Guys, they were leading the country in yards per game coming into that week we held them to about half their yardage output on average coming into that game 289 yards only 13 points really as far as I'm concerned only six points there's a garbage touchdown late but whatever I mean guys Tennessee had not been held to less than 416 yards and 5.4 yards per play in any other game. They had also not been held to less than 34 points in any other game. And then you got Florida. I know you don't think of Florida as a good football team because they're not, but offensively, they put up really good numbers for most of the year. We held them to 371 total yards, 5.2 yards per play, only 2.9 yards per rush. And let me remind you, when we came into that game coming off the bye week, Florida was leading the entire country in yards per rush, and we held them to 2.9 yards, less than half of what they were averaging coming into the game. So, what I'm getting at here by saying all these things, throwing all these numbers at you, what I'm getting at is that on the surface, if all of these offenses, Oregon, Florida, Tennessee, if they are statistically better than the LSU offense, and they are by a pretty wide margin and we dominated each of those offenses in ways that they simply were not dominated by anyone else all season long, then why would we expect this LSU offense to just suddenly be able to have enough success against our defense to win this game? Kind of defies logic, doesn't it? Kind of does. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying it's out of the question that this LSU offense can come out there and put up a ton of points in our defense. It's college football, guys. Anything can happen. All I can operate off of when I'm making predictions, when I'm trying to preview a game, all I can do is look at the evidence that we have on hand, the data points that we have through 13 weeks this season, 12 games, right? And all I'm saying is that the evidence that we have to this point in the season suggest the idea that the LSU offense is going to have some sort of magical night against our defense, that just seems to be a highly unlikely outcome. But let's go ahead and let's take a closer look at this LSU offense anyway they've kind of been hit or miss guys they've been hit or miss all year inconsistency really has been the rule for this tiger offense and it kind of makes sense when you're in a transition year new coaching staff you got some talented players but there's going to be some bumps in the road in terms of learning the personnel what they do well there's going to be some bumps in the road in terms of learning the playbook and executing all those things they just haven't had time in the system they got a lot of new guys coming in out of the the transfer portal obviously jane daniels won them coming over from arizona state as their quarterback But there's been a ton of inconsistency. For example, UK, you put up 633 yards and 7.9 yards per play versus New Mexico. Those are elite numbers against anybody. But then you turn around and you put up 270 yards and only 3.6 yards per play against Auburn on the Plains. Uh, Go back and say 500 yards and 6.6 yards against Ole Miss. And then only 367, 5.6 versus Bama, only 286 and 4.3 against Arkansas. One of the, if not the worst defenses in the entire SEC. I guess Vanderbilt might be the one, but Arkansas certainly is up there. Trust me, I know that. But the fact remains, even though they are inconsistent, they are guys. Like from game to game, they're very consistent. We know the A&M game last week was a very bad showing for them. And what the season has told us this point, basically evidence we've seen is bad games are usually followed by good games for them. So hopefully it's not one of those games this week, but they're very inconsistent. But despite that, they are a very, very talented offense, okay? You got to give them that. And the the fact remains, they have shown they have the ability to put it together on any given Saturday. It doesn't happen every Saturday. You never know when it's going to happen, but it happens occasionally. And they kind of have those offensive explosions. We just have to hope that this week is not one of those weeks. But when it happens, when they do have those weekends, where they put it together offensively and have these offensive outbursts, it's because of the play of Jaden Daniels at a quarterback. I mean, that's it, guys. That's what it comes down to. This LSU offense goes as Jaden Daniels goes. Let me give you some numbers here to back that up. Against Auburn, Daniels was 8 of 20 for 70 yards through the air, only had 59 yards on 16 carries. That game was extraordinarily close. Auburn should have won the football game, guys. Auburn was, they were kind of ish controlling that game for large swaths of that game. But they ended up losing. LSU ends up winning that game. But the reason that game was so close, because Jane Daniels, did not play well. Against Florida, on the other hand, a game they won, ended up only winning by 10 points. They were in complete control of that game on the road for the vast majority of that game, really almost from the jump. In that game against Florida, he was 23 of 32 for 349 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Against Arkansas, right? A game that, God, Arkansas, I Jesus Christ. If K.J. KJ Jefferson was playing that game, Arkansas would have won, he was not playing, had Malik Hornsby as a backup, and they benched him because he was so bad, they brought in a guy who's not even on scholarship, because that's how bad their backup quarterback was, neither here nor there, not bitter, promise, but against Arkansas, a game they should have lost, he was only 8 of 15 for 86 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick, only had 10 yards rushing in that game on 19 carries, about literally like half a yard per rush in that game, and they won that game by three points, and then against Ole Miss... You get the flip side again, 21-28, 248, two touchdowns, 23 carries, 121 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. This offense goes as Jaden Daniels goes. When he plays well, they play well. They win football games. They are are a formidable team when he plays well. When he does not play well, they can get run off the field. And I think the reason that is is because this offense is just built around him, guys. It's just built around Jaden Daniels and his skill set. Obviously, as the quarterback, we know he is their leading passer. Obviously, duh, we know that. But he's also their leading rusher, and not by an insignificant margin. By almost 400 yards, guys. He has on the season right now. This guy is 824 yards rushing, and the the closest running back has 477. Josh Williams only has 477 yards rushing. John Emery has 324. Noah Kane has 344. Jaden Daniels sitting there at 824 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns. In fact, he has as many touchdowns as the top two running backs combined. And he does it in different ways. They do run some design quarterback run stuff with him. They run some quarterback draws. They'll do some quarterback sweeps. They don't do a ton of power stuff, but they'll work it in there occasionally. But really where Jaden Daniels kills you with his legs is on scrambles, man. That is where he kills you. Uh, roughly sixty-five percent of those eight hundred twenty-four rushing yards have come off scrambles, guys. And it, it's they kind of design it that way to a degree. They give him a kind of a run-pass option. They call a pass. It's it, it's very clear that he has the green light to just take off if he sees a lane, dude. Just take off, abandon the play, abort the play, and just go. And he's also a tough guy. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's tall and thin. But he takes some shots. I mean, against a he took some shots, and he came back. And he's going to come into this game kind of banged up. He's going to play. I have no doubt about that. Is he going to be 100%? No, he's not. I mean, no one really is at this point. But he's definitely not going to be 100%. But he's going to play his game. He's going to do what he does. He's going to run because that is the name of the game for Jaden Daniels. And that's the name of the game for this LSU offense because they build everything around him. So just know that, guys. Jaden Daniels, it's a stretch to say he is the offense because they have some other really talented players. But he is the centerpiece of this offense. It's built entirely around his skill set and what he does well. You know, earlier in the year, they were—I don't know if scuffling is fair, but kind of—they were to a degree. They weren't playing at a extraordinarily high level offensively because they're trying to figure out who they wanted to be on offense. But once they figured out, okay, this guy is a major threat with his legs. So let's just go all in and build this offense around that. Once they did that and they figured out what they wanted to be and they kind of developed that identity, that's when they started to turn the corner. They gathered some momentum and obviously the rest is history. Now they're sitting here playing for an SEC title and it all starts with Jaden Daniels. And we're going to get into the schematics of this LSU offense, kind of what they do with Jaden Daniels here in just a second. But first, let me just quickly remind you guys about my bookie. As I told you at the outset of the show, it's real simple, guys. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA and when whatever you deposit up to $200, they are going to match it. And when they match it, it's not just like you're getting a free bet. A lot of companies do that. We'll give you a free bet, right? They're giving you actual cash that goes into your account. There's no strings attached. Really all you have to do is just bet whatever you deposit. If you bet 50 bucks, you bet 50 bucks. If you bet if you deposit 100 bucks, once you bet 100 bucks, that money they match will be released for you to withdraw from your account to do whatever you want to do with it. I've really never seen a deal like that from a sports book before, guys. It doesn't surprise me. My bookie is the one out there. They're innovative. They do a lot of cool things for their customers. They take care of you in a way that I've never seen another sports book do. So if you're looking to get on the action, there's still a lot of football left. Got Championship Week this weekend. If you're feeling good about our game, put some money on it, right? Got bowl season coming up. NFL still in high gear. College basketball is just starting. Plenty of stuff left to bet on and enjoy for the rest of the year. So jump in now, guys. MyBookie.ag, promo code UGA, and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day
1: is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile
0: has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All
0: right, let's get right back to it, guys. So, Jane Daniels, yes, he's the guy for them offensively, but let's get into what they kind of do schematically. And really what they're trying to do from a schematic standpoint, and this is not really like a news flash, almost every offense to some degree tries to do this, but they really put an added emphasis on putting the defense in conflict. And they do it in different ways. And when I say put the defense in conflict, what I mean by that, I've talked about this with some of our Scheme Team episodes, you're trying to make the defense wrong. You're putting a defense in a situation where they have to make a choice in what they're going to defend. And whatever they choose to defend, whatever choice they make, they're wrong. You have an answer to it. You have a counter to it, right? And the classic example would be play actions, right? So if you run the football down their throat, but you also have a guy that can stretch the field vertically, like A.D. Mitchell, if he comes back, or George Pickens back in the day, or A.J. Green back in the day, if you have a guy like that, and you can also run the football they have to pick their poison, right? You put that defense in conflict. Either they roll sages in the box, take away the run, and thereby leave themselves vulnerable with play action, man-on-man shot down the field one-on-one, or they play coverage and give safety help over the top to take away the the vertical passing game, and then they get gashed in the run game. That's putting the defense in conflict. And there's so many ways to do that right now. I mean, RPOs, that's what an RPO is. It's putting the defense in conflict. You're forcing the defenders to make a choice, and whatever they choose, they're going to be wrong. And that's what this offense does extraordinarily well, and they have a variety of ways to do it. They're really... I don't know if they're innovative, but they're creative in how they go about doing it. They're pretty versatile in how they do it. Uh, for instance, one of the plays they use when they really put the defense in conflict is something I did an entire episode on, uh, a scheme episode in the offseason, where I was talking about how we can use the tight ends in the RPO game. Um, so those of you who remember me talking about Toothpick and Floss, Th- they use that heavily. And what that is, so Toothpick is when you have an H-back, in their case it's going to be Mason Taylor, who's their tight end. Our case is Brock Bowers, could be Darnell Washington. Sometimes it's Lab McCong, but it's usually our tight ends. And they come across the formation when it makes it, it kind of looks like split zone, okay, right? And the running back is running across the formation and you're reading the backside defensive end. If that end crashes on the running back, you pull the ball and you just throw the ball to the tight end who is trying to show that he's running a split zone, but he's really not. He's kind of running a flat route, essentially. And you're just reading that backside defensive end. If the backside defensive end, gets wise to that and takes the tight end because he says, oh, he's going to come out in a pass route Well, now there's no one chasing the running back from behind. And so you have a numbers advantage in the box. You hand the ball off and you run it. Okay. We do that a lot. We did that a lot. We did it more so last year. I haven't seen it do it a ton this year. They do that a lot this year. And they have floss, which is the same concept, but instead of the tight end lining up on the opposite side, They line up on the same side of the running back, and at the snap, they kind of just flare out, run a little flat route, but still the same concept. The the quarterback still reading the backside demons of in, just the backside demons of in, or the backs, the the in man line of scrimmage doesn't necessarily have to be. A defensive end, it's the end man on the line of the scrimmage. If that guy crashes on the running back, you pull it, you throw it to the tight end. If he takes a tight end uh in coverage, then you just hand the ball off because you got numbers, right? And that's something they run a ton. The wrinkle they have added, and this is where they get creative. I've seen us run that for a couple of years with Todd Munkin, but where they get creative is and how they use Jane Daniels on that play. So you can imagine what they can do here with him, right? Well, instead of making it a just a, 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 a one read we have two options, whether you hand it off or you pull it and throw it to the tight end, they add a third option. So this is basically triple option football. It's just new age, triple option football. So the quarterback, Jane Daniels, what he does, first read is that in-man line of scrimmage. If he crashes down the running back, he's going to pull it. Now that, that's the first read, okay? Now he has another. His eyes then go, usually the star defender might be a linebacker depending on the alignment, and he's looking to say, okay, are they going to take me? I have the ball, and I'm going to show that I'm going to run this football. Do they come towards me? If they do, I just throw the ball to my tight end. If they cover the tight end and it creates a lane for me, I'm just going to run the football, and they run this play, guys. It's, a, it's a really a simple play But it's so effective for them. They run it over and over and over again. So watch this, guys. It's one of their base plays, which, again, it's all about putting the defense in conflict. And then as I mentioned earlier, when they do go to some drop-back pass game or even it's off play action, they give Jane Daniels the freedom, 100% they give him the freedom to just abort the pass play. And if he sees a lane, dude, just take off, just run, just make a play, just make something happen. And he does that quite a bit as well. Getting about sixty-five percent of his yardage this season on the ground has come off of scrambles. That is where he really, really, really kills you. And they're also going to take some shots down the field in the in the vertical passing game. Jane Daniels is not a super proficient passer in like the zero to twenty yard range, in my opinion. He's not especially accurate there. He doesn't always make the right reads and decisions. But when he has an easy read, like a one-on-one read, he's got man coverage. He can read man coverage. If he sees this man coverage, he's got a one-on-one shot outside. He can lay the ball out there, guys. He's got a good arm. He throws a good, accurate, deep ball. That's where that's his strength in the passing game. So they're going to take some shots and they have some really talented wide receivers to take those shots with. You know, Keyshawn Bouti is the guy that was the dude coming into the season. I thought he he was going to be one of the best receivers in the SEC. I still think he has that kind of talent. But he got out to a rough start. He, I, mean, I thought he might quit the team after the Florida State game. That dude was like showing a lot of frustration out there on the field, slamming his helmet and just showing really bad body language. But he stuck it out. Has, a, has had a solid year, but he hasn't been their leading receiver. A guy named Malik Neighbors, a sophomore, has been their leading receiver. and He's another talented guy. Dre Jiggins, another option they have. So they have some receivers that can really hurt you in the passing game. They can get vertical on you, and Daniels can put it out there if they're getting one-on-one coverage. They love those shots. They're going to take them, especially if they, if, really if they see one-on-one coverage out there. A lot of times, they'll just check to that. And... If Daniels sees a lane, he'll take off and run. If he doesn't see a lane, he'll just throw that vertical shot. They also love the deep crosser, and they do this a lot off of motion. So it's not always a hard and fast truth. It doesn't happen every time. But quite often, when you see one of their wide receivers come in motion towards the line of scrimmage, like back towards line of scrimmage, the chances are they're going to be running a deep cross there. Because there's a reason why you would reduce the split of the wide receiver, right? They don't do that just for fun. I mean, it could be to get a read on the coverage. Is it, does, is the, does the defender run with him? Or does the defender stay put? If the defender runs with him, it's man coverage. If he stays put, it's probably zone coverage, right? But it's also giving the receiver a chance to run that deep crossing route. They love this play, especially off play action. And again, they have some talented receivers that can really make you pay with that. And honestly, guys, in general, they really like to use motion. And the reason, in my opinion, the reason they do that is to try to get the defender's eyes in the wrong place. Because, again, they're already putting the defense in a lot of conflict with how they structure their offense. And throwing in that motion, the defense is already thinking a lot, right? And throwing that motion in there might make the the defense hesitate ever so slightly just for another split second. And that split second, you have talented players like Jaden Daniels back there can be the difference between a three, four yard gain and then him breaking loose for 30, 40 yards. So they really try to get your eyes in the wrong spot, get you thinking, and they're really, really effective at that. So and, and we've had some issues that not really as much this year. Uh, past in the past we have you go back to like the 2020 Florida game. We all know what they were doing with the wheel routes, so they ran back to the backfield because their eyes are in the wrong place. Kirby's done a much better job of addressing that and coaching that up. So hopefully that won't be as much of an issue for us. But we still have I hate to call them young now because they played an entire year, but we still have some young-ish inside linebackers. That's something that does concern me to a degree there. Now, one area where LSU has not been good, like not even average, it's been flat-out terrible this season, is in pass protection. They were dead last coming to last week in the SEC in sacks allowed. Now, they're 13. They've given up 41 sacks, then Kentucky gave up an extra sack, so they've given up 42 sacks this year. They were tied with Kentucky coming, coming into rivalry week. But still, regardless, 41 sacks, 42 sacks, 13, 40, it doesn't matter. They are terrible protecting the passer. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, they have two freshman offensive tackles. And those guys, like our linebackers, they've played an entire season out there. So are they really freshmen anymore? I mean, technically, yes. But they play a lot of football. They've grown and they've developed. They've gotten better as the season has gone on. But the fact remains, they are still freshman offensive tackles. They are vulnerable to getting beat there on the edges. And I also think this is where Jaden Daniels' mobility sometimes hurts them a little bit. Like, it's hard to say that mobility is a detriment, but when it comes to sacks, sometimes it is. I think he trusts his legs too much. And I think he sometimes just stays a beat too long in the pocket trying to let some of those plays, those vertical shots develop, thinking, oh, you know what? I got these great legs. I can escape it anytime, anytime I want. And most of the time that's true. Sometimes it's not. So I do think sometimes like he's his own worst enemy with those legs and just stays in the pocket just a snap too long. And that gets him and that gets him on the ground. I fully expect us to do a lot of twisting, a lot of stunting to make those tackles think and to make them communicate. Because you guys know, look, we don't have great natural pass rushers. The best natural pass rusher we have is Jalen Carter, and that dude's an interior defense of tackle. Like We do not have those natural dominant edge rushers. We don't have a Harold Perkins, as we'll get to in a minute, or hell, even a BJ Ojolari. We don't have those guys. We just don't. So how do we generate pressure? Well, we blitz, but if we want to do with our front four, we twist, we stunt, and we try to get creative there, and we try to get one-on-one matchups. What I would like to see us do, and I think we probably will try to do some of this, is get Jalen Carter with some of these twists and stunts, get him matched up on those freshman tackles because that's a matchup we're going to win. I don't know if I'm going to say 100% of the time, but let's go 99% of the time. We're going to win that. So even though we don't have dominant pass rushers, I think there are ways that we can create opportunities to pressure Jane Daniels by how we twist, how we stunt, how we force their offensive tackles to communicate because they're young and they're still learning, they're still developing, they've gotten better, but there's still a long way for those guys to go. So that's just a little something to be watching when this game kicks off on Saturday. But let's keep this thing rolling, guys. Let's talk about how we defend them. That's the next question, right? How do we defend these guys? Now they've kind of gone over what they like to do. How does the Georgia defense go about taking away what LSU likes to do? Well, that's what it's all about, guys, right? You hear me say this every single week on these preview episodes. You've got to make your opponent play left-handed. Well, what does that look like for LSU? It's pretty simple, guys. I mean, if you listen to what I've talked about, I mean, you guys know. You got to take away Jaden Daniels' legs. Like, you have to take that away from them. Again, his scramble ability has accounted for roughly 65% of his rushing yards this year. So when I said when I say take away his his legs, more than anything, take away his ability to hurt you with his scrambling ability. Now, of course, that's easier said than done, but that has to be the focus. That has got to be the focus. So, if that's the focus, then the next question becomes okay, cool. Now we've identified what we want to do. Well, how in the hell do we do it? Right? That's the next question. And to answer that, let's start here. And let's look at his passing rates. Now, these are PFF numbers, all right, Pro Football Focus. Um, take it with a grain of salt. There's some things I think that they do a pretty good job with. And there are some numbers that they provide that I think are relevant. Sometimes, though, when it comes, especially when it comes to grading, it's tough, man, because it's very subjective. What are they using as a criteria upon which they grade all these players? That kind of stuff. It's like, okay, it's good to see. like it's, it's something to look at and to consider, but are we going to take this hard and fast truth? I don't know. Sometimes I just like to watch things with my own two eyes. But according to PFF, Jaden Daniels' clean pocket passing grade is 85. His blitz pass grade is 81.3. So, When he's got a clean pocket, no pressure in his face, he grades out at an 85. When he's blitzed, he's grading out at an 81.3. Guys, that's a negligible difference in my opinion. Yeah, he's a little bit better with a clean pocket, but isn't everybody, right? But I mean, 85, 81.3, we're talking about a negligible difference. So if that's the case, if the grade is so close in both scenarios, whether it's a clean pocket or he's getting blitzed, why on earth would you blitz him? When that provides him the opportunity to get loose and gut you with his legs, when you blitz him like that, guys, you are giving the opportunity to rush up because you're creating those natural rush lanes. And there's, especially if you are using a spy. Well, if you're blitzing, which to me means you're bringing more than four guys, you probably don't have a spy, right? If you're bringing more than four defenders, you don't have a spy there because you can't take another guy out of pass coverage because then you're going to get killed in the pass cover in the pass game. You might not have a guy actually covering anyone out there, so. You have to be very, very careful. Why blitz him? Why would you blitz him? It's the purpose of a blitz, right? Is either A to sack him, create negative plays, or B to just generally disrupt the passing game. But if you look at those grades, when you blitz him, are you really disrupting their pass game all that much? Negligibly, right? Like you're really not. So why would you do it when there doesn't seem to be that much of a benefit in terms of disrupting their passing their passing game? And Instead, of what you're doing is providing the opportunity to do what he does best, in, which is gut you with his legs on those scrambles. So no, I would not blitz very much at all in this game. I'm not saying you can't do it ever because, like I say a lot, you can't do one thing exclusively because then you get predictable. You got to mix it up here and there, but I would be very, very careful with how much I blitz and what type of blitzes that I bring and what situations I use them in. What I would advocate more strongly is us coming out using heavy simulated pressure, which we do a lot of. We've done a lot of that for years now. Kirby and our defensive staff have been a, have been pioneers with simulated pressure. Because with simulated pressure, guys, it's, it's really, it's not so much necessarily about confusing the quarterback, although it can do that depending on who the quarterback is. But it's really, as far as I'm concerned, it's more about confusing the offensive line because they don't know who's coming. You have all these guys standing up there, and they're trying to identify the mic. Well, first off, who's the mic? Where do you start your count? And who's coming, who's not? Who you think you're going to be taking pre-snap could very easily and probably will change post-snap. And those guys are also twisting and stunning on top of that. It makes it very difficult for the offensive line to identify who they're supposed to block. And what that does is it creates free runners or sometimes it can even just create advantageous one-on-one opportunities. And you can do that with a four-man rush and still spy Jane Daniels behind it. Use a mirror, which is what we use in our in our terminology. You can mirror Jane Daniels behind all that, which I think what you have to do in this game. Honestly, guys, from a coverage standpoint, I hate man coverage against a quarterback like Jane Daniels. If you aren't spying him, it's almost like you can't even run it at all because of the way that he can hurt you with his legs, right? Because especially if you don't have a spy on him and you're running man coverage, that's that's defensive malpractice. You cannot do that because if you don't have a spy on him and you run man coverage, what's happening is the defenders on the second and third level are turning their back to the quarterback and they're running with receivers, right? They're trying to cover those guys. When Jane Daniels sees that, instantaneously he takes off. He, he it's it's almost like instinctive. He doesn't even think about it. He just darts upfield. And then he's on the loose. And when that dude's on the loose man, he's troubled. He's a problem. And we cannot allow it to happen. So again, we have to switch things up, we're going to run some man coverage, that's kind of what we do, but you got to be very careful that when you have man coverage out there, you need to have someone accounting for the quarterback in in the run game, you have to have a mirror, you have to have a spy out there, because otherwise, he, I promise you, he will just take off, but here's the problem with this guys, like watching them schematically, I don't like man coverage against them, because uh, as for the reason I just laid out, but the problem is, that's kind of what we do right like that's what we love to do that's what Kirby Smart's been doing for years right now we evolve we change some and go back to like the pattern match stuff at Alabama press man coverage on the outside that's what we love to do that's what we did to Tennessee man and that's what we were so effective doing doing against Tennessee so I don't know like I'm kind of torn here do you do what you do defensively just do what you do and use a spy. And guys, we've played a lot of mobile quarterbacks this year. I mean, that's that's almost the rule. It's kind of the exception now when you don't have a guy that can do something with his legs. So he's not the first mobile quarterback that we've played. I would just posit that he is the most dangerous mobile quarterback that we have played all year. So we've used spies before. We're gonna do it again today or this week. But you do what you do and just trust the spy to get Daniels on the ground, even though that kind of plays into their hands? Because that's what they want, right? They want you to play man coverage. Because they're thinking, okay, if you're man coverage, everybody else's back is turned to Jaden and he's just got to beat one guy, one spy. Like We like our chances. We'll beat that one guy. So do you do that and present potentially more explosive run opportunities for them? Or do you do something that isn't entirely foreign to you but it's certainly not what you do by trade. It's certainly not your comfort zone and play more zone coverage, which will allow you to get more eyes on Daniels and keep him in front of you. That's the question. And that's a tough, that's a tough question to answer, guys. That's why the coaches get paid the big bus. That's why Kirby's getting paid $10 million a year. That's why Glenn Schumann's getting paid a million dollars a year. They got to come up with these game plans. But that's gonna be the choice here. And I think the answer will probably be a little bit of both, because again, you gotta switch things up. I know what Kirby's gonna do though. Like Kirby is going to do what we do. Like I watched every press conference this man has ever had at Georgia, and I cannot tell you how many times I've heard him say. He even said it this week that you have to do what you do because the question always is asked by the media is like, "Hey, are you, what, what are you going to do to take away this guy, this team, this great offense?" And Kirby's like, "I mean, we're just going to do what we do. Like, you can't you can't just switch things up uh, in one week. You really can't. You don't have enough time for that. First off, to like throw out an entirely different defense. And then number two, like, why would you not go with what got you to this point? Because that's what you do well." Like playing something different than what you normally do means you're doing something that you're not as good at because you don't rep it that often. You don't do it that often. I mean, just go back to the SEC Championship game last year, right? Remember our, our players talking about after the game when they were being interviewed, our defensive guys, talking about how we were just kind of doing things defensively that we don't normally do all year? And it's like, yeah, of course, that we definitely were doing that. And it's because we, we try to get a little too fancy for Alabama, right? And go, even go back to the LSU SEC Championship game in 2019, like we came out with like seven defensive backs to open the game, guys. And we don't really ever do that because we were trying to match what LSU did. We got a little too fancy there. Now, we defended them okay in that game. But I think Kirby's kind of learned from that. And it's going to be like, all right, you know what? We're going to do what we do. They know what we're going to do. And we're just going to trust our players to be better than you. I'm not saying that we're not going to switch some things up here and there. There's there's some tweaking that you can do. There's some adjustments that you can make. But you don't want to play do an all-out wholesale change in one week. You just generally do not see that. And I don't think that's the wisest path to taking this game so I'm, again I'm torn here I hate man coverage against him because I've seen him just kill teams with it this year but it's also what we do and you know if you have to ask me do you do what you do and just try to do it very well and maybe put a spy out there I think that's what Kirby's gonna do and I think I'm okay with it even though it kind of scares me a little bit I'll be honest it does scare me a little bit I think I'd rather us do what we do by trade and what we're good at what we rep all the time what we've had a lot of success with all year long rather than kind of a, rather than, you know, throw some wholesale change out there and play a ton of zone coverage, which is not really what we do. Like we've actually played a little bit more zone coverage this year than we have in years past, but it's still not what we do at our core defensively. So that's the question we're gonna to have to answer. And that's certainly something you guys to be watching as this game kicks off at four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So that's the LSU offense, guys, and before I jump into the LSU defense and its matchup with our Georgia offense, let me quickly just tell you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. It was really awesome to hear from so many of you over the past week with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, talking about how great Alumni Hall was and begging us for turning you guys on to them because, I mean, you guys found out exactly what I've been saying for a couple years now. There is no better selection of George Gear anywhere on planet Earth. It doesn't exist, especially the vintage stuff, which you guys know, you've heard me say, I'm really into. And so I'm really excited that a lot of you were able to kind of discover that for the first time. Some of you going back for the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time and just finding some great holiday gifts for friends, for family. I don't know, maybe find a little something for yourself. But even if you missed out on all the great savings with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, guys, there's going to be more savings as we get closer to Christmas. Just keep watching, guys. They do flash sales all the time. You know I'll tell you about it but Alumni Hall has the best selection. They have the best gear, the best accessories, anything you want for anyone in your life, Alumni Hall is going to have you covered. So make sure to stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipsyn Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
0: Okay, guys, let's get into this LSU defense versus the Georgia offense matchup. And let's start with just a couple quick numbers here for you guys. So statistically, LSU's defense... A little bit better than the LSU offense, not quite middle of the pack in the SEC, maybe slightly above average, but that's about as good as it gets them. So they're fifth in the SEC in total defense, giving up 347 yards a game. I think that's almost a worthless stat. A more relevant stat, in my opinion, is yards per play, but this is where they drop a little bit. They're actually only eighth in the SEC. They are average when it comes to yards per play, giving up 5.36 yards per play, which for reference sakes, guys, that is essentially a full yard more per play than we give up, which is a lot. So they are not on our level defensively, um, very clearly from a a statistical standpoint. They are fifth in the league in scoring defense, giving up 21 points per game. They are 60th nationally in points per play allowed. Um, They are fifth in the SEC in rush defense, giving up 144 yards a game. They're also fifth in yards per rush allowed, giving up 4.05 yards per rush. They are sixth in the league in pass defense, giving up 203 yards per game. Only ninth, so, not as efficient, only ninth in yards per pass allowed at seven yards per, per, per pass. And uh, they've given up, guys, they're giving up 55 plays of 20 or more yards on the year. That's ninth in the league. They're also ninth in the SEC in plays of 30 or more yards allowed, giving up 23 of those. They've given up a good number of explosive plays throughout this season. So, those are the numbers. Again, a little bit better than average in terms of their, their statistical profile. But when you look at the personnel on this LSU defense, to me, it's about one guy, kind of like the offense, right? Now, saying it's all about one guy, like it's all about this one guy, I do think that's a gross oversimplification because they do have a lot of talent on on the defensive side of the ball. They really do. But the back half of the season, this LSU defense has been built around one guy, a lot like the LSU offense has been built around Jaden Daniels. In fact, I said it, I don't know if it was last week or earlier this week when Curtis and I were talking about it, talking about this game. I think that Harold Perkins, the LSU, the freshman outside linebacker for LSU, I don't think it's a stretch to call him the Jayden Daniels of the LSU defense. And the reason I call him that is because, again, I think their defense has increasingly become built around him and his skill set in a very similar fashion to how the LSU offense, in my opinion, has been built around Jayden Daniels' unique skill set. And Harold Perkins is a, is a freaking monster, guys. He is a freak of nature. He's a freshman, and we got to keep that in mind. Like He does some freshman things at times, but he's 6'2", 220. At least that's what he's listed as on the LSU website. And it looks like he's gotten a little bit heavier than that, but that's what he's listed as. But when you look at his skill set, I mean, dear God, explosiveness doesn't really quite describe what this guy brings to the table. But man, he does have an absolutely explosive first step. He's also insanely fast for a guy that size, really, really long, so that allows him to get his hands on uh, blockers before they get their hands on him, and then he is twitchy as all get out, man. That's really important because that gives him the ability to also play in space. He's not just a box outside linebacker, a box player like, like Robert Beal and Chas Jimmins are essentially box players. Like We'll try to drop them every now and then, but like they are fish out of water, man, doing that. Not the case with Harold Perkins. And they move this guy around, and that makes him even more difficult to deal with and handle, because you never really know from one step to the next exactly where he's going to be. That makes it very difficult to create a game plan to take him out of the game when you don't know where he's going to be in that game. They basically run a four-three defense more or less, but with his versatility, and this is why I say like this defense is starting to be built around what he does. They run a four-three. And he's like one of those linebackers, right? One of the three linebackers. But with his versatility, they're able to keep him on the field on almost every single down. What they do is they kind of just slide him out into space. And like when it, when a team goes like twins to one side or they go two by two or two by one, like whatever they're doing, if they have two receivers on one side and he, it's to his side and he's got to flex out, he will. And when he does that, he just moves into space and he basically operates as a star defender, like like our version of Javon Bullard. That's what this guy is doing. So one play might be there inside the box, rushing the passer as like an as an outside linebacker. The next play, he might be flexed out, basically operating as the star defender in space. A lot like we've seen from some of our guys in the past. Go back all the way to Leonard Floyd and go back to Lorenzo Carter, right? In 2017, we, we did this a lot with him. Um, Adam Anderson to, to some degree as well. But this dude has a better physical profile and better physical skill set than any of those guys. And I love all those guys, I do. But nah, man, this guy, he's different. He is different. Even those guys, as talented as they were, he's different. He's just a different guy. And he, he can function in space. And that's what makes him dangerous. That's what gives him versatility. He can function out there. He's not elite in space, like covering people. But he can at least function out there. And having him on the field on all those downs, it also allows you allows you to have a guy that can function in space, do a little bit of coverage stuff, but more importantly, allows you to get an extra pass rusher and run defender on the field. He is a hybrid player, right? You guys have heard me talk about for years, especially on some of our scheme theme episodes, about matching hybrid offensive players, because that, that's the thing. Like Offenses have evolved to where they have all these hybrid offensive players like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, right? Even like a guy like Kenny McIntosh who can run the ball and catch the ball in the backfield. Well, defenses have had trouble defending those guys. Well, so, I've long said, what's the answer to that? Well, you have to match hybrid offensive players with hybrid defensive players, and that is exactly what Harold Perkins is. He's got so much versatility, and they can do so many different things with him. Now, one of the things they have really started to do a lot with him, they love to do this with him at this point in the year, is they blitz him from depth. And what I mean by that, like from depth, means off the line of scrimmage. You know, Your typical, your pro-typical outside linebacker, when he's rushing the passer, it's Right there in the box on line of scrimmage. Right, his his hands not on the ground. It's kind of like Will Anderson. Will Anderson's there. He's got a tackle on him. He's got a tight in on him. But he's on the line there, playing a seven technique, maybe a nine technique, and he's rushing the passer from that spot. Well, that's not really. I mean, they do that with Harold Parker. Don't be wrong. They, that's one of the things they can and they do also do with him. But they blitz this guy from death. Like he'll be lined up as a star, like flexed out. And that dude a blitz from there. And he's so fast, so twitchy, so quick, he'll get there. Like, he, if you hesitate for a second, man, if you double clutch, you triple clutch, you even just, like, pump fake, man, like, he's rangy. And he will get there. If he doesn't sack you, he'll get you off your spot and flush you out of the pocket. So they definitely blitz him from that kind of split-out star alignment. They'll also stand him up in the middle of the defense like an off-the-ball inside linebacker. And it makes it tough to know where he's going to be coming from there. And they, they'll they blitz him from that spot. He'll also do kind of the Will Anderson thing where he'll rush like straight off the edge from a seven or nine technique. But I mean, he's just a nightmare, guys. He is a true nightmare matchup and a true game record. And we're going to come right back to him. But first, I do want to at least say this. I know I'm just raving about Harold Perkins and how good this guy is. And he is, guys. Like He deserves that. But I also want to emphasize that it's not just him on this LSU defense. Guys, LSU recruits well. I know they had some issues in the in the latter years of the, the Edo tenure, but even though they fell off a little bit recruiting, it wasn't that far. They have some players, man. B.J. Ogilari is a guy that I wanted badly at high school. I thought we were going to get him, and we did not get him. He's still around, and I thought he was going to be their best pass rusher, one of the best pass rushers in the entire SEC coming into the year. He hasn't quite been that, at least in terms of production, but he has the skill set to be that on any given down, any given game. He's a, I mean, he is. He's just an awesome pass rusher in his own right. Ali Gay, number 11, is a guy that's been good for a couple of years, and he's a kind of another versatile player for them. Does a good job defending the run on the edge there. Uh, Micah Baskerville, inside linebacker, is not really an elite player, I wouldn't say, but he's a good athlete and a really solid player in the middle of the defense. Jacqueline Roy at nose guard is a really good player for them. He's a strong run stopper in the middle of that defense. Mason Smith is a guy that I was really high on coming into the year. He tore his ACL against Florida State he's not in there so if he was in there it'd be a totally different story that guy former top 10 recruit nationally and I thought we might we might get him at one point ends up going to LSU and he's a game changer himself he's not playing so I I I don't want anyone to get hurt but it also kind of helps us a little bit he's not playing in this game but they have other guys like so Ojolari, Gay, Baskerville, Roy and that front seven they have it's not just Harold Perkins he's the star and things are built around what he can do, but there are other really talented players as well, but the reality is, going back to Perkins, he has developed into that dude, so when you're Todd Munkin, and you are our, our offensive staff, and you start game planning for this LSU defense, you really have to zero in on him, like he's the guy that you guys say, okay, what are we going to do with him, how are we going to account for him, and I'm not saying to build your entire game plan around him, I don't know if he is, because again, he's a freshman guys, like he. He's really talented, and he can absolutely take over game like At the Arkansas game, I think he basically single-handedly won that game. I mean, he had four sacks. He's got six and a half sacks on the year. He had four sacks in that one game, guys. And he just took over that game, forced a couple of fumbles, and that's why they won the game. It was him. They were going to lose to Arkansas, and I needed them to lose to Arkansas, but they didn't. And he, he won that game for them. So he can take over a game for sure, but he's also a freshman. He's not quite there from a physicality standpoint. So I don't know if he's like a and Aiden Hutchinson from last year. I don't know if he's a guy like that. I don't know if he's a, a Jalen Carter type athlete where you like completely have to fix your game plan about, around what this guy does. But at the very least, you have to count for him because he is the best, most talented player on this defense right now. So saying that, as the coordinator, create a game plan. What do you do? How do you attack this LSU defense? Well, number one, on the most basic level, you have to know where Harold Perkins, number 40, is on every single snap. There can be no snap in this game where we're not like, where's 40? We got to find 40. Get your eyes on 40. We have to know where he is. It all starts from there, right? Now, here's the other thing about Perkins, and I I talked about this a little bit on the recap episode when Curtis and I were kind of getting this game a little bit, giving Curtis a chance to give his thoughts on it, but what Harold Perkins really excels at is two things right now as a freshman. He is A very, very dynamic pass rusher, and he is one hell of a chaser. He will chase a play down from the backside like nobody's business because that dude can fly. He can move, man. And that's what he's good at. Problem for him is he's still a freshman. He's not really strong right now. Um, he's got good size, but he's not strong. He's not thick right now. He's want to put on some weights and put on some muscle. He reminds me a lot. He's he's a slightly thicker version of what Adam Anderson was when he was early in his career. All right. So what I'm saying is, he does not handle physicality when it comes right at him. Especially when I'm talking about physical run game. When you run the ball at him, he does not handle a physical run game in his face well at all. He's just not built to do that. Again, he's a pass rusher and a chaser. His skill set is speed and athleticism. It's not power. That's not what this guy does well right now. I don't know if it'll ever be what he does well, but he doesn't do it as well right now at all. In fact, this is exactly what A&M did to them. You've got to run the freaking football right at this dude. Run it in his face. Devon A. Chain for AM rushed for 215 yards last week against LSU. They put up 38 points. Guys, Texas AM had not scored 30 plus points against an SEC opponent since mid October of 2021. They did it against LSU because they ran their freaking football all night long. And the vast majority of that time, they're running it right at Harold Perkins because the dude can't stop it. He doesn't know how to take on blockers consistently well. He gets washed way too easily because he's not strong enough to do much. He can't shed blockers well. If you get your hands on him, you get in front of him. You are going to take him out of the play. And what just so happens to have developed into the core play in our offense? Huh, let me think about this. Oh yeah, the counter play. Which itself just so happens to be one of the most physical plays there is in all of football, complete with pulling guards, pulling tackles, down blocks. You're gonna have Tate Ratledge at 6'6, 315 coming in your face, Xavier Truss at 6'7, 320 coming in your face, Warman Clinton at 6'4, 300, Broker Jones at 6'4, 310, leading up through the hole. Hell, sometimes it might even, even be Darnell Washington. You're gonna have all these big bodied, physical, grown men coming your way, trying to put your ass in the ground. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, man, Harold Perkins does not handle that well at all. So when it comes down to it, what I'm really trying to get at here, guys, is the simple fact that you cannot play to Harold Perkins' strengths. You cannot play to the strengths of the best player on the opposing defense, which means you cannot allow Harold Perkins to chase plays down from the backside you cannot allow Harold Perkins to just pin his ears back and rush the passer and wreck your game plan. What you have to do is force him, especially when he's in the box, to close against those big pulling guards because he can't do it, guys. And when you force him to do that, you're taking him out of what he does best. And honestly, guys, call me a homer if you want, but this is as objective as it gets. I think our offense is the perfect offense to attack them, to beat this LSU defense, and to take away Harold Perkins. Because really, guys, what we are, our offense, philosophically, at least the last half of the season, is just a more souped up and modernized version of the Texas A&M offense. Philosophically, we want to do the same things We want to run the football and hit play-action shots over the top, right? We're a play-action football team. That's exactly what A&M is. We just have better coaches, and we're a more modernized version of that. And we've been leaning more and more into that identity with each passing week. I mean, guys, the last two weeks, we've thrown the ball under 20 times a game. Hell, before that, guys, we were throwing the ball on average more than 30 times a game. This is who and what we are becoming. And it just so happens to be, in my opinion, the best type of offense to attack this LSU defense with what they want to do, and especially when you factor in who their best player is. I mean, this might be the game where we pull back out that 13 personnel, which we did against Michigan last year. Pull that back out, guys, because we are going to be able to run the football on them. If Harold Perkins is on the field, you make him a liability. And you make him a liability by running the football. So, I mean, I know we haven't done that very much at all, like maybe a handful of snaps all year in 13 personnel when it wasn't on the goal line. But this might be a game to do a little bit of that. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there. And then with Harold Perkins, when they do play him in space as a star, if he's not kind of like uh, in the box there, here's what you need to do in the pass game, in my opinion. When he blitzes, what they do is they roll coverage to his side to replace him. So what do you do when they do that? You just throw a backside. It's simple. So when he's staying out there or when he's out there and he blitzes, they have to account for that. So they roll coverage to his side. and That means they're rolling coverage away from the backside. So you just throw a backside. It's real simple. And then when he does stay in coverage, you feast and you throw it right at him. I told you earlier he's a versatile player and he absolutely is. And he can function in space, but he is not ready to sit out there and cover for a living. He can't cover Lad McConkey or Brock Bowers or anyone that we put out there in the slot. He cannot cover them one-on-one. He really can't even cover them in zone coverage because he's still a freshman and he's not really super comfortable out there. He doesn't exactly know what he's doing at all times. He's just a great athlete. So he kind of compensates for not always doing what to do when he's out there playing in space like that. So when he blitzes, throw backside, throw away from him because they're rotating to where he was. And when he stays out there and covers, he'll do it from time to time. They don't do it a ton, but when they do it, very simply throw it at him because that guy's going to be open. Like nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, whoever he's covering is going to be open. So just putting that out there. Now I mentioned this, I think back last week when I gave you some of my, my earliest thoughts on this game. One other guy I want to mention here that we can pick on and his playing time's gone down a little bit as the season's gone on because people were picking on him, is their safety, major burn. this is a guy that you probably remember. We recruited him and we landed him. He was here on our roster. He decided he got homesick and wanted to transfer out. He goes to LSU. And he's a a good box safety, but he's got some a lot, not some, a lot of stiffness in his lower half. And he's a guy that that wants to put a hit on somebody. And he gets very aggressive against the run. He sees run action. So number one, he gets his eyes in the backfield too much and you can burn him there. The number two, even if he's trying to cover you and he sees you, he's stiff. I mean, you can make this guy miss in space and you can, you can create separation against him. So he's a guy, if he's on the field, I really think that we're going to have some success if Todd Munkin sees him out there trying to uh, scheme some ways to get some matchups one-on-one against him because that's a matchup that we're going to win the vast majority of the time. So you gotta, just got to watch for that as well. But at the end of the end of the day to wrap up this LSU de- defense talk. I'm very curious to see how they come out playing us in this game. Are they going to defend us the same way that we've been defended the last two weeks by Kentucky and Georgia Tech with those two teams keeping that two high safety shell all game long and and really just challenging us to run the football consistently enough to win the football game. I think that's the way to play us guys. Honestly, I mean, I know you don't want to put this out there, but I mean it's all on tape if I'm a defense coordinator, I'm trying to game plan for Georgia, I think that's what I do because it doesn't allow us to play our game, right? Because what do we want to do? We're a play-action football team, right? We want to run the football, and running the football is a means to an end. Like If if it allows us, if we can win just by running the ball down your throat, we'll do it, but we love those kill shots. Run the football, and Tom Lincoln likes to throw the ball. Run the football allows us to try to force the defense to get safeties in the box, creates one-on-one opportunities on the outside, We take those play action vertical shots, and we hit them, we hit the kill shots, and now you're playing from behind, right? Because that's what we've done. We've made a living off of jumping. The last couple years, we made a living doing this. Jump out on teams early, and then play boa constrictor ball where we just squeeze the life out of you in the second half and just take you out of what you want to do because you have to play from behind from the jump. I mean, how many times have you seen this guys to get these big leads and the second half kind of sit on it and just squeeze the life out of our opponents? That's what we do. Like that's our MO, man. Like that's, that's our game. I mean, our offense, as I said, it's built to generate one-on-one play action shots against man coverage with the run game. And if you don't give us that, if you play the two safety show we've seen from Tech and we saw from Kentucky, well, we we know this guys, we don't have a super proficient drop back pass game against those looks. We don't. Our pass game is effective and dangerous when we have one-on-one opportunities outside. And if teams aren't giving us that, I mean, you saw we threw the ball less than 20 times the last two weeks. Stetson was 55% completion percentage against Tech. I mean, that it's not great, right? Not great. So, when teams do that, it has the effect of reducing margins and kind of gives that opponent more of a chance. Now, the flip side of that is, if you do that, you play the two I safety shell and you don't roll safeties down, we're going to run the ball down your throat. I mean, Kenny McIntosh is running like a man possessed right now. And that's exactly what we have to do. It's to take what the defense gives you. It does get the margins closer, but that's what we have to do. Um, but I'm curious to see if LSU takes what, Kentucky and Tech did to us, or they just go back to what everyone's basically done to us for the last five years. So just something to watch there. I'll be watching that very, very closely. And all right, guys, to wrap things up here, I just want to give you a couple of quick keys to this game, things that I think if they go our way, we win this football game. Because I get asked that a lot. Well, what do we have to do to win this game? Well, let me tell you, there's three things I got in my mind here, right? Number one, Contain Jaden Daniels. I've made that very clear at the outset of the show. Contain Jaden Daniels, make him a pocket passer. Obviously, easier said than done. I laid out how I would do it. But if we can do that, we're probably gonna win this football game. Number two, we just got done talking a lot about Harold Perkins in this LSU defense. Can we turn Harold Perkins into a liability? He has been a fantastic asset for this LSU defense the back half of the season. But can we do to Harold Perkins what we did to Aiden Hutchinson last year? We made him a liability. I'd go back to the, the Thirteen personnel. We ran a lot of thirteen personnel last year against Michigan because we. I saw this on tape, and of course our coaches saw this on tape. When teams came out with three tight end looks, thirteen personnel, Michigan went with a base three four defense with Aiden Hutchinson playing outside linebacker, which meant he had coverage responsibilities in space. That's not what he does well, right? And so we did that all game long. We took him out of what they what he wanted to do, what they wanted to do, and we just absolutely dominated that Michigan defense, which is one of the best defenses in the country coming to that game, right? So we made Aiden Hutchinson liability for them. Can we do the same thing with Harold Perkins? I think the answer is yes, as I laid out. But we have to do that. If we do that, I really like our chances. And the last one here, red zone defense is going to be key in this game. This is a really interesting match between our red zone defense and the LSU red zone offense. So guys, LSU is third in the SEC and 10th nationally in touchdown rate inside the red zone. They're scoring touchdowns inside the red zone, 72.7% of those trips. That is extraordinarily high numbers, guys. That's an elite red zone offense. But on the flip side, we just happen to be number one in the SEC and number one nationally in touchdown rate defensively, only giving up 32% touchdown rate inside the red zone. So this is a, a strength versus strength matchup. I think this could be one of the deciding factors in the game potentially. If LSU does have some, some success moving the football between the 20s, can we bow our necks and hold them to field goals, which we have been fantastic at all year long. I mean, guys, that won us, I mean, it won us at least one game, right, against Missouri, being able to do that. If we don't do that against Missouri, like it, even one of those scores a touchdown, we lose that football game. So can we... If LSU gets in the red zone, can we hold them to field goals? We've done it all year long. They're really good at scoring touchdowns. So whoever wins that matchup, I think it also have a head start in winning this football game. But that's all I got for you today, guys. I I tried to make this as comprehensive as I could. I had some personal things going on this week, so I didn't have as much time to uh dig into it but i still did as much as i possibly could going back to last week so i want to give you guys as detailed and comprehensive a look at this game as i possibly could i will have my official game prediction so with charlie uh with our last episode of the week we're gonna have our championship picks episode so make sure to check back then but thank you for listening guys i appreciate you i'm tyler and as always go dogs.